Hello, you've tuned in to the Death Dialogues Project podcast. My name is Becky Odd Jennison, and I'm your host. Why death? Death is the part of our lives we are so very certain about, yet we fear the most. Hiding deep within anxiety, which is a current epidemic, lies the fear of death, ours or a loved one's. But what if I told you that people who embrace death and talk about it openly have a more full-spectrum life experience? We know it isn't your fault. We've been programmed to stuff our conversations and feelings surrounding end of life. By listening to other stories, you get invaluable practice. Our listeners feel more informed about what to do when they find themselves negotiating that inevitable terrain. Most of all, our listeners feel a personal expansion after sitting with someone's tender and fascinating story. That's why we say listening will make you a better human. Promise. Thanks for being here. I am so pleased that you're here with me today. You might recognize today's guest, Kate Manser. We spoke almost two years ago on episode 30 about her project, You Might Die Tomorrow, So Live Today. Since this current episode was recorded, Kate shared with me that our conversation here helped her get clear on something that had been whispering deep in her soul for some time. It's time to evolve. You might die tomorrow. As you'll hear in this show, Kate has a palpable, undeniable passion for life. While death and mortality awareness are critical to feeling fully alive, it's but one part. Because life is ephemeral and often ends unexpectedly, to make the most of life is to live expansively, transcendently present in our existence. Every day we get the privilege to wake up. Kate has evolved her focus to helping people feel alive in our everyday life. She guides people through her meditations, coaching, and courses. Her new Instagram handle is at the Alive Kate, and you can take her meditations, all designed to help you feel present and alive in your daily life, on YouTube, Insight Timer, and on katemanser.com. Most of all, she would love for you to close your eyes and tilt your face toward the sky. Allow a small smile to creep across your cheeks. Feel your heartbeat and the breath in your chest and the vibrance of your soul and say, hey, I'm alive. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hello, Kate. Thank you so much for being with us today. Hello, Becky. Happy today. It's such a beautiful day to be alive with you. Oh, it is. Um, I had to go back and look and see when our first conversation was exactly, just to give people a little context. And it was almost two years ago. So this is pre-recorded um, from when the people will actually hear it. So yeah, I first talked to you, or our first um, podcast episode was posted in June of 2019. So wow, almost well, certainly to the month, two right. years. Yes. 
And in so, that time, we've gotten a lot closer, right? I mean, we we felt connected on that day that we met in the podcast. But I feel I feel like I've gotten to you, gotten to know you so much better in that time. We've learned about a lot of life parallels that we've had, and we've just grown and changed a lot together in that time. Absolutely, and I I yeah, that's one of the things I love about this work is the people I meet and. Um, you know, sometimes I talk about, well, let's say sometimes people talk to me about, um, how they feel so alone when they're with their old peer group or people push them away after death or if they're immersed in death. And I love now technology has brought us this ability and we have these communities. It's, you can find your people, you know, you find your people and you are one of my people. You, yes. Um, no matter how weird that we're into what things people are into, you can find you can find your tribe, you can find your school of fish, and we are we're in the same school of fish, Becky, for sure. Absolutely. And and one of the things I've loved about um having you in my life and having your energy and your project, I think I've said it before when I've shared your post, is I almost feel like you're the antidote to the death dialogues project. I mean, sometimes people, one of the reasons I'm writing, I've written the memoir is the why and how, how can somebody be so immersed in death? And um, yeah, it does get heavy sometimes hearing people's mm-hmm. stories all the time, but I also have therapeutic training, you know, and learned early on about like the boundaries and all of that. But part of that is, is because my energy lives more in the vibe of your project, really, from hearing mm-hmm. all these stories, which is about you might die tomorrow, so live today. Yes. You've become and my mantra for so many people. <laughs> we complement one another so well. And uh, and I think that I've learned a lot since I've had this project and since we've spoken two years ago. And I've gone through a lot of different iterations and learning about you know what living like you might die tomorrow looks like. And it's different for every single person. And it certainly looked different for me. You know, when we talked two years ago, I was really high on this, this big life transformation that I was having at that time, which for me, realizing the reality of my mortality and having four friends of mine die in you know, unexpected, unrelated events over the course of about a year and a half first sent me into that death anxiety, like we talked about two years ago, and then had this huge awakening, which was that, yes, I could die tomorrow. And I have a choice, which is I have a limited amount of time and a limited amount of energy in this life. Do I want to spend it in fear, trying to avoid death like I was, or do I want to spend it living my most vibrant life? And at the time when we talked two years ago, I had quit my job at Google. I was traveling around the world. I had, the movement was really just starting to explode and grow. And, you know, two years later, my version of living like I might die tomorrow is very different. And I'm sure it, it is for you too. Well, I want to hear more about that. I want to, I'm so <laughs> thrilled you just did the work of, of like that quick wrap of where you were, where you've been. And um, I am really curious to hear how that's expanded in you further because I know it has. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. Um, so, you know, kind of, kind of talk to us a little bit about 
the different nooks and crannies in your life where where this worldview has shown upon and and um and I imagine there's still tough days. I mean, I imagine I mean, I'm just really going out on a limb here, but I imagine every day <laughs> you're not popping out yeah. of bed <clears throat> looking like the sunshine that you are, <clears throat> you know, arms spread. Hello day. This is amazing. I mean, it, and and I'm sure you're this view and this the way you're walking in the world, you know, tell us how how it's helped or it's hindered even if it's hindered, you know, through this last um, couple of years, how it's evolved for you. Yeah. Well, buckle up. Okay. I'm going to tell, I'm going to tell a couple of stories. So the first one is that, like I said, you know, I, I had quit my job at Google. I traveled around the world for two years at about around 30 years old. And, you know, at that time, that was my fullest expression of living. Like I might die tomorrow was I was like, I might not make it to retirement or if I make it, I might have a bad back. Like the time to travel is now. And then when Mm -hmm. I came back from that trip, that was when I learned the most important lesson, which what, which is, and was that truly living like you might die tomorrow is finding beauty and joy and aliveness every day, wherever you are, whether you're on a mountaintop in Nepal or whether you're doing the dishes on your kitchen, on a, in your kitchen on a rainy evening. And that was a huge and profound realization that I had, which was just like you're saying, realizing that we have to be able to accept all of life, the high points, the beautiful points, the traveling, the first loves, the, you know, children, like all of these high points of life, like that is for sure, living like you might die tomorrow. But we have to be able to see the simple joy because if truly, if we were on our deathbed or if we were diagnosed with a terminal illness, one of the things that would happen is the value of time would go up exponentially. When your time is limited, suddenly the value goes up and you realize, oh my gosh, I want to I enjoy and experience every single moment. And so what happened, my second story that I'll tell is that, so I came back and I realized, oh my gosh, I need to figure out how to be happy and feel alive every single day. So I started training my brain every day to feel alive for at least one moment every single day. Some of the ways I do that are to just practice being really present. I'll literally put my hand on my heart, look up at the sky and remind myself that I'm alive, you know, trying to prioritize my life according to the top five regrets of the dying. But one thing that I realized that was holding me back in a huge way. So I started the movement in 2015 and we're now fast forwarded. I'm back from my trip, have been back for a year. I had, I got a corporate job again and we're now fast forwarded to January of 2020. And, you know, secretly I had always kind of felt like a fraud because, you know, I come from a family of alcoholics and I have always enjoyed to drink and it's been up and down in terms of like, oh, Kate's drinking a little bit too much. Okay. She's actually fine. But what I realized was after I got back from my trip, after I realized that every moment is so precious and so important is I had to take a hard look at all of my habits in life from getting mad at people in traffic to how much wine I was drinking. And so in January of 2020, I realized that if I want to live my message of living like I might die tomorrow, and if I really truly want to be the example of living fully awake, fully alive and fully aware, I have to get rid of these toxins out of my life. And so since January 18th, 2020, I haven't 
taken a drink and it's radically changed my life because if time is important to me as as it is, it's one of our most precious resources. The easiest way to get back time is to take away the things that are anesthetizing us in life. And so that's another radical shift that I've made that has just made me feel so much more alive. Oh, that's beautiful, Kate. Um, yeah, I mean, I want to say congratulations because that's what <laughs> we say a lot of times when people have stopped. And I don't know if it warrants that for you, but I really appreciate hearing how how that makes you come alive more. Absolutely. Yeah, so I think, you know, we the t- Brownie Ware's top five regrets of the dying is something that I've written and journaled on a lot. I've um, I use it as a way to as a way to design my life and, you know, looking at trying to be my truest self, trying to balance the time that I spend on my heart centered priorities. Um, you know, it's a choice that we can make in big sweeping changes in our lives, like quitting jobs or leaving relationships or choosing to leave bad habits behind. Um, and, uh, and I, you know, if we want to live well, and if we want to die well, then we have to do that work in our everyday and it's beautiful work. It's the stuff that life is made of. Absolutely. Beautiful. (laughs) So tell us, I, I, I'm really curious. I don't know that we touched on it that much last time, but how how have you evolved now throughout working this work, you know, walking this walk that you're doing um, about your own death? So I hear a lot with you about the gratefulness of being alive and the magic and being in the moment and and knowing that we're here in this moment. We don't know how many moments we have in this day. <laughs> exactly. Um, but how how has that or has that shaped now how you feel about your own death? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's something, I mean, still death is something that I think about every single day. Death is something that I still open into my life with open arms and to help me get the clarity that I need. And that's the clarity on the big life choices as far as like, you know, where should I go with my career? You know, which trip should I take? Should I write the book? You know, all what mindset do I want to approach my life with? And then down to the little choices, like, you know, what should I do today? And when I wake up and so literally every morning that I wake up. And so this does tie in with being grateful to be alive because that's really what I'm about. But I literally wake up most mornings, like 90% of my mornings, I wake up, I'm a side sleeper. I don't know about you, Becky, but I sleep on my side and I open my little eyes and I'm lucky my window faces the sunrise. So I open my eyes and I see the, hopefully usually it's like pinks and purple pastel colors. And I open my eyes and the, one of the first thoughts that always comes to my mind because I've trained myself to do this over the years is, oh my God, Kate, you woke up again. You didn't die in your sleep. And I just let that elation and gratitude flow through my body. You know, I have a friend, Noah, who was my age. He was, uh, at the time that he died, I think he was 33 or 34. And he died in his sleep the morning after Christmas. And, you know, something like that, where we truly could die at any moment. I use that in my daily life when I wake up feeling grateful that I didn't die in my sleep. Or I just watched a beautiful video about a singer who has cancer. And she shared uh, that she has a 2% survival rate. And I really just closed my eyes and was like, Kate, 
what if you had cancer right now? And what if you had a 2% survival rate? And I allowed myself to really visualize that, to imagine myself in that place and then survey over my life and do that deathbed gut check to help me figure out if I'm on the right path. So does death scare you? I think there's always, yeah, I think there's always a certain fear associated with, with dying. And for me, I certainly fear, I feel a fear of not accomplishing some of the work that I feel that I was put on earth to do. And so my fear is more, more around that, you know, in the time that I started this project, I didn't really think about like what happens after death or I didn't think that much about the soul really. But in the past four years, I've really done a lot of work around, okay, well, what do I think about the afterlife? What do I think about my soul? I've been a big, I'm now a a big follower of Ram Dass. And, you know, I really believe that when I die, as, as Ram Dass's teacher said, it will be like taking off a tight shoe and that our beams of light will be, you know, streaming through every eyelet of the shoe and that, you know, but I still keep myself grounded by thinking, Hey, life after death, whether you believe in heaven, whether you believe in reincarnation, whatever, like it may be 300 times better than the magic and wonder that we have here on earth, but I don't know that. And so I'm going to keep myself firmly grounded here in the present moment. And so I do fear dying tomorrow to a certain extent. Um, but I also feel that because I incorporate death into my everyday life that I'm ready for it. Uh, and, and I feel that as long as I'm showing up with love and presence and I'm living in the here and now, instead of the to-do list for next week or the interaction from three days ago, that's still gnawing at my neck, then, um, then I'll be, I will be ready. And, And so that helps keep me grounded and keeps me because I have that tendency to get into hypochondria, to get into death anxiety. I mean, I spent a year in deep death anxiety where I was afraid to get in the car. I had trouble going to sleep at night. And so what I have found as the antidote to that fear is, is hugging death and making it a close part of my life and understanding that it's part of being human and it connects me to everything and everyone that ever was. So the big full circle that I'm hearing here is, you know, and, and, and let's just remind the audience that the common denominator in most anxiety, if you really peel back the thoughts and the beliefs that are going on, it is fear of death. Um, yes. You know, whether the worm at the core. it's a phobia, <laughs> at, right at the core, right at the core is the ultimate fear of your death or somebody else's death. You know, maybe it's children and being over focused on. Um, children. And so you're having obsessive thoughts about your children. And um, but when you really look at the, you know, what that's coming from, it's not so much just about, I want my children to be happy. It's about, I want my children then to be well, then it gets to be about really, I just want my children to live and not die. And mm-hmm. so if, if we're, you know, looking at your conversation and coming full circle, that has a lot to do with the way this was all developed in the way that you walk in the world is um, because you did have some anxiety. What I'm hearing is you were having quite a lot of anxiety after all of those deaths. And so you've really gone straight to the core and has that helped? How much does anxiety show up in your life now with you walking this walk every day? Most days. I think if we look, yeah, almost every hour of every day. (laughs) 
<laughs> right? I guess because it's always there. Absolutely. <laughs> but I think if we look at what fear is, so you said, you know, if you're, if we're thinking about anxiety, the root of that is the fear of death, right? Like the worm at the core, yeah. like we talked about. Um, but I think if we look at the root of fear, it is a lot of what we fear is the, is the unknown. And we fear that which obviously scares us. Right. And so what the fear, what facing the fear of death is, is just taking that anxiety and peeling back that onion, as you said, and looking death square in the eye and says, I know you're there, but how can you help me? And so if we look at that with any anxiety or any fear, it's, it's about having the bravery to look at that fear and say, hey, how can you help me? What can you teach me? And so when I'm dealing with anxiety and fear, it's similar to like an exposure therapy. I really just try to look at it to really sit with it and to understand what can you teach me? And so anxiety absolutely shows up in my everyday life. And there's a song by the Foo Fighters called Everlong, a beautiful song. They have a rock version. They have an acoustic version. But what I realized a few years ago was that if I want to love life, if I truly want to be a disciple and a citizen of life in the here and now, I have to be able to accept all of life. And that ex that includes the beautiful days and the sunsets. And that also includes the days that I just like don't want to get out of bed or I'm obsessing over some interaction or I'm caught up in the minutia of life. And that song Everlong, I'll look up the lyrics right now, but it's all about, hey, don't stop when I say when. So even when life feels overwhelming and it's too much and I just feel like, how can I go even one step further? It's realizing that that fear of it, everything being too much, that's what I want. If I want to be truly alive, like I said, in that disciple and citizen of life, I have to be willing to accept all of it, the good parts and the bad parts, as the beauty of life and as part of the beauty of being alive. Well, I think it's important to talk about this, the dark with you as well, because you know, if somebody's just looking at your account, you're you are so extremely effervescent and you're like a little sunshine <laughs> to look at. And, <laughs> and it is important because I do think with, you know, conducting therapy with people and, you know, when people are really, really in a dark place, um, it's, I remember, you know, some saying, you know, you can't, there's no way people can feel that good or, you know, you can't, you can't just um, create sunshine out of everything we know when you're so low. And I think it's really important um, that people understand that what you're talking about isn't about cleaning the slate off of the bad and the hard and the full spectrum of living. It's about opening up to embrace all that in even a more expansive way is what I'm hearing, I think. Yes. Oh, okay. beautifully said. Beautifully said. I mean, and that lyric is the only thing I'll ever ask of you. You got to promise not to stop when I say when. And whether you're talking to the universe or God or just existence, it's inviting in, inviting in all of that. And, and you know, since I did um, quit drinking alcohol, I realized that one of the fears that I had uh, when I was was 
drinking was that I would have no out from my pain. That when I was having the hard days, I could just have a nice big glass of red wine and just sort of float into that little like ethereal space that <laughs> that that delicious drink gives us. Um, but what I found was so counterintuitive that when I faced my fears, when I faced my anxieties and journaled them and ran them out and cried them out, that they flowed through me like rain, like unlike anything I had ever experienced. And so what I found is that by facing fears like death, like anxiety, you know, worry about the future, by just letting it flow through and facing it with that bravery that I said, it's been such a shock to me that it it doesn't hang around like that storm cut I thought it would be. Yeah. So, so yeah. So I'm hearing like rather than the band aid, which means that the, that it's going to be there. It's still under there. You can peek and it's still under there. You've with, with this um, sobriety that you're experiencing, you're, you're letting everything flow. You're doing the work. You're letting the feelings come up. And then you're not having to carry that wound around as much. Is that right? Is that what I'm hearing? Oh, yeah. And totally failing every single day, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and failing every day. I mean, just today, someone like wouldn't let me over when I was driving. And I was like, well, what are you off to? What what fire are you going? I, I said that out loud by myself in the car. And I was like, whoa, Kate, what is with the testiness here? What's what's happening? And so I'm on edge for some reason today, or I was earlier. And it's um, and so yeah, we're I fail every single day. And you know, sometimes I go dark on social media, and it's just because I don't feel the need to post post things what every single day, right? So yeah. if I'm not feeling up to it, you know, living is number one to me. Like I love being connected to people online. I love meeting amazing friends like you. Um, but you know, living life in the here and now and in the present is my number one, um, my number one way to shine in this world. And so sometimes I'll just go dark on social media for many days in a row. And uh, you know, we all get penalized on that algorithm. But you know, I don't care because in the grand scheme of things, you know, when you and I who look at death, who face death, who talk about it, we have a sense of what's important that is unlike many other people do. Yeah. Self-care, um, you know, not the self-care that's going to the spa and getting my nails done, but the, the self-care that comes with doing that check when you wake up in the morning and, you know, how am I in this moment and coming back yeah. to the moments. I mean, it's, it's an integral part. Yeah. Yeah. And can we talk about like self-care, a huge part of self-care for me that I've learned lately is like honesty with myself, right? Like Mm. figuring out what's important with me, with my, you know, what's important to me. And then, and then having that honesty, because part of me is like, oh yes, I want to be, I want to be online. I want to be active. I want to be connecting with people. But if I really look at it, it's being honest, like what are my true priorities? And so for me being on the up and up with myself is the most nourishing form of self-care that I have found. And that's going to evolve all the time. If you are if you are totally aware or, you know, try to be as aware about yourself and in touch with yourself. And I think, I always think that's a mind blow too. And that's what's cool to have you on here is because um, even though that feels like something that's just an, an is, as is, it's ever evolving for you, what you yeah. want what you want to be and tell us about that. And giving ourselves space. Yeah. 
giving ourselves space to do that. Sorry, I started before you, but yeah, giving no, ourselves space to know. And this, that's another thing that's helped me so much in life is, is realizing that, you know, I can, I can, I and anyone, we can course correct at any time, because let me tell you, I'm a procrastinator and I get stuck in decision paralysis, like the best of them, which is why I use mortality as, you know, the ultimate deadline and the kick in the pants to get going on something. So, you know, in order to find clarity, that's where these kind of life and death situations have, um, have really helped me. Mm, absolutely. I can hear that. I, I feel the same way. Um, I'm curious for you how the project has evolved with you, you know, and um, I guess what I'm, I'm assuming as I hear, and you can correct me with, if, if I'm wrong, is that one of the beauties of your project and my project when you're living in this sort of space is the fluidity of it and the organicity of it. And if, if, if you're evolving in a way and, or um, changing in a way, you can shift your focus of what you're doing a bit. And um, I'm just really curious to hear, I'd love for you to talk to us a little bit because I think your book wasn't maybe out yet. I'm sure we Mm -hmm. talked about it, but I'd love for you to talk to us a little bit more because I love your book. I highly recommend your book to people that are listening. And yeah, I think it's, it's a, it's beautiful. I think, you know, well, just do this little commercial real quick that I I think it's (laughs) a perfect gift for anyone, you know, for birthday or, but I also think in the throes of grief, you know, it might be a little counterintuitive, you know, to think, hmm. yeah. but I think so many people that I talk to, Kate, um, especially that have children or a partner or, you know, a soul connect that dies, it is so, so, so common to just not want to keep your feet on the planet. That doesn't mean that they're necessarily planning to end their life, but there's a real commonality, common thread that I've been seeing, right, with that of just um, floating a bit. And if I, if I end up just being let go and going with my loved one, that would be okay, which is totally normal. But I think Mm -hmm. your book is just a nice grounding force after um, experiencing a difficult death as well, right? It just um, can re-spark that passion for life because it's born from that, right? It's born from your deep grief. Yes. Yes. And well, thank you for saying that. Seriously, all that just really touches my heart, but you, you just said it so perfectly, which is that people who are grieving know better than anybody out there that you could die tomorrow. When you lose somebody you love, you know, viscerally that life can be um, cruelly taken away at any moment. And so when people see uh, a sticker or a sign or a book title that says you might die tomorrow, so live today, they understand it better even than I do, right? Especially if they're in recent grief, because that is that is something that they're having to grapple with as part of their grief, right? And we have this whole re- reorientation of our world when we're in post-traumatic stress, post-traumatic growth, where we're having to like reshuffle and like, oh my gosh, so if people that I love 
and or young people or people close to me can die what does that mean for the, the world and my world? And so a lot of people that have come to my project are people who have just experienced grief, who have had near-death experiences, and who just profoundly, viscerally understand you might die tomorrow, so live today, but I'm the first project that they've seen that puts it in words that way. So they come mm. to me already feeling it. They're just being validated by my brand, which... By the way, many people throughout the years have told me to shut down and told me, you know, I am I got um, shut down by one of the publishing houses of Eckhart Tolle, who said, we'd love your work. We love your book. We'd love to publish. Just You, you got to change the title. And I said, you know what? That's I, I totally understand where you're coming from. It is provocative and it is direct, but I am not changing the title. And even my own mom was like, you know, that's it's a little brash. <laughs> <laughs> but but that's what people love about it is they're like, you know what? It's just, it's out there and it's true and it makes you think. And the psychology shows us that when we are given a non-traumatic awareness point of death or our death. So when someone dies that we love, we have to go through all of this, you know, the, the reorienta reorientation of our world, the grief, the sadness, the pain, and, and you will still have the end result at some point, usually where your, re your world becomes reoriented and you go on and you never lose the grief, but you, you're able to live with it. Um, but the psychology shows that when we're shown a reminder of our mortality that is non-threatening, for example, like a sign or a book title or a sticker that says you might die tomorrow, so live today, it actually helps us become more comfortable with our mortality. And it helps us have um, one more positive affirmation or one more positive piece of data associated with our mortality. And so that's been a surprising side effect of this project and of this book is, you know, I had a girl uh, a couple of weeks ago who said, oh, I was on the beach in Tulum and I was just struck with this strike of inspiration where I realized that I could die at any moment. So I searched, you might die tomorrow t-shirts and there it was. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. And so, you know, people are looking for this. People are looking for death dialogues. They're looking for a friendly, intelligent, compassionate ear like you have. And they're looking for someone like me to put the message out there with this positive spin that death can actually be life's greatest teacher. And, and that's what it comes down to. And I think it's um, it's so funny because we're so immersed in it. Like, I don't even think twice about you might die tomorrow so live today but I do understand when I um you know part of this project the the epiphany to have it came through producing and staging the vagina monologues and in this little um far north town in New Zealand getting people to think about putting the word vagina on their storefront was <laughs> just something else you know I mean I, I just I was so shocked because in the states we're so used to that show right and it had never come to the stand but then Kate when I'm doing the death dialogues shows you know I had two productions it was the same with death it was almost uh, like hmm don't know if I really want this up and it's just so mind-blowing because I think yeah. you know I don't know. I just don't see it anymore at all. But but what I I feel, and I think that's what I'm hearing from you too, you know, when you're willing to um, step away from Eckhart Tolle's 
publisher because of they won't keep your title. It's that I feel or, you know, that this is all very organic and the people as the person on the beach found you, you know, the people that want this message that need the, these conversations will find them. And it's not, it, there's that fine line in this work, isn't there, about how much to promote, you know, and promote and promote and promote and what that means in our society today um, and how to keep authentic within that paradigm of, of mm-hmm. you know, wanting the work to get out there because it's mission work, right? I mean, it's like we're, we're kind of, you know, ministers at the church of death. And, um, you know, we've opened up a church and we want people to come and we want people to believe our, you know, and to wrap up in these stories, not even believe our stories, just let, be exposed to these stories. But how to how do we do that in a way? And you're the perfect person to have this conversation with since Miss Google and um, whatever other kind of corporate work you've done like that. But, yeah, that's a big struggle for me is, you know, uh, not getting wrapped up in, um, you know, yes, people contacting you and wanting you to sponsor and, you know, and it's like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to walk in that world and stay in this authentic grassroots world, which is where my project was born from. Oh, I know. I love it. So beautiful. Well, you know, what I've learned over the years is, you know, I'm, I've, I, you're right. I do feel that it is mission work, what we're doing and anyone who has a passion and is putting good out into the world, right? Like that's a mission from God. That's, that's, you know, the universe um, giving you the good work to do to shine the light. And, you know, I've struggled a little bit with like, okay, I'm a leader of this movement. Um, how can I be the best teacher, right? Like, you know, what promotion should I do? What, you know, what should it be a book? Should it be? And what I've learned is I went to Thich Nhat Hanh's monastery in France. I had been through a very bad breakup, not bad that we, in that we were fighting, but it was just like, we loved each other. It just wasn't going to work out. So it was a heartbreaking end to a relationship. And I went to Thich Nhat Hanh's monastery in France because I was just feeling so empty inside. And, you know, I still had this like, you know, deep well of knowing that this is the work that I'm supposed to be doing, but my, my tank was empty. And so I went to the monastery that you went to Plum village. Yes, exactly. And so, yeah, I went to Plum village and I stayed there for a week and slowly, 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 my night, my light started glowing brighter and brighter, brighter. And I started feeling more and more like myself And eventually it came to the end of my time there. And we were given the opportunity to sit with a nun, one of the sisters there and, um, and ask a question individually, you know, one-on-one time. And, and as soon as they said that I knew what my question would be, and my question was going to be, how do I be the best teacher of this message? Because when I was at Plum Village, I got, so there was, they talk about mortality like we do. They talk about, you know, the end of life being our greatest teacher. They talk about, you know, everything is constantly changing. Everything dies, everything ends. So we have to really live in the present. So I, I was just so strong in this message. So I sat down with this, with this sister and I told her a kind of brief condensed version of, of the story of how I got to have this stroke of inspiration to create, you might die tomorrow and how it become this movement with followers all around the world. And then I looked in her eyes and I said, how can I be the greatest teacher of this message? And my heart was open. I mean, I'm crying at this point because I just, I just want nothing more than to bring this message to the world. 
And she looks at me with these beautiful soft eyes and she smiles and she just says to me, your life is the message. If you want to carry this message to the world, just live it. And oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> if I wasn't crying then, you better believe I was crying after that because it just took all of this like attachment that I had and this grasping of wanting to be this teacher. And it brought it all back to me and it brought the responsibility back to my life and shining my light and having positive everyday interactions. And it brought it back to this moment. And from that moment, I was okay. I'm okay with, with whatever happens with this movement, whether it goes to 20 million people or to the 20,000 people that it is today. And, and I realize that, you know, Becky, you and I in this work, our lives are the best messages, the best teachers that we can bring to this world. And, and we have to stoke our inner light to shine it as brightly in the world as we can. Mm. Well, thank you for that bit of inspiration for to, from the, from the church of Kate. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> and I love that you got to go to Plum Village. That's always, yeah, I've, I've always had that in the back of my. Yeah. Oh, it's very, I mean, other, yeah, obviously you have to go from New Zealand to France, but it's quite affordable and it is, it's very welcoming place. So it's there for you Beautiful. whenever, whenever, I don't know that they're open now still, but maybe next year they'll reopen and um, get yourself a bunk. It's, it's like 450 euros uh, a week or something with everything included. And it's just, it's a place to heal and be alive and be present and learn and grow. Gorgeous. Gorgeous. So let's, let's talk a little bit more. And this is very selfishly just on the heels of, of my writing or actually still in the process of rewrites and edits, but <laughs> what was your book writing experience like for you? Oh, it was hell. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. I, I hope I'm allowed to say that on this show, but yeah, oh, it was, it was, it, I mean, it was an amazing growth experience because you probably understand this, which is you come up with a book idea and you're like, oh my gosh, this is the greatest idea. I have to write a book. I finally have my idea for the book, which is I've always wanted to write the book. This is great. And then you start writing and it's like flowing and the ideas are going. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, this is like really hard. And then you get back up and you're like, oh, this is amazing writing. Yes. And then you're like, wait a second, this book's already been written like 50 times through history by way smarter people like Marcus Aurelius and like Socrates. Like they've already written about the idea of mortality being life's greatest teacher. And then, yeah, you just, it's this cycle of up and down battle with the ego of like, I'm not any good at writing. This book's already been written and that's juxtaposed with the greatest inspiration that, that I ever felt. And, you know, I came through and I'll tell you, one of the things that helped me come through was just that I had told so many dang people that I was going to write a book that if I didn't write <laughs> that book, that I would have been tail between my legs, totally embarrassed. And that's the same thing that happened to me when I told everybody with my big mouth that I was going to quit my job and travel the world. Because right when I was about to quit, I was like, oh, this might not be a good idea. It's pretty scary. It sounded great at first. But my pride, you know, pride can actually be a good thing because it can save you sometimes. And that's what happened to me for sure. Oh my gosh. So you kind of, yeah, you, you forced yourself, you, you'd backed yourself into a corner that you could not get out of with the writing of the book. I, I relate. So if you have an idea, tell everybody. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. And, um, was it a lengthy process for you, the writing of it? 
Or did you, well, or were you I one mean, of those people that are like 40 days? I write a book in 40 no, days. <laughs> absolutely not. No. I mean, I came up with the idea for You Might Die Tomorrow in 2015. I started the blog and I, you know, started journaling at that time. I started blogging, which was all research, right? Research and development. And then at that time was also when I went on the big trip. And so I was traveling for two years and I was, at first I was trying to write and travel at the same time didn't work. So finally I was like, okay, I'm just taking notes. I'm learning. This is part of the experience. And so when I came back, then I was low on, you know, cash, had to get a corporate job again. And so ultimately the bulk of the writing happened in 2019. Yeah. And it was published in March, 2020. So really the the main part of the writing of the book and all of that took, took a year, but from idea to publication was, uh, what is that? Like four, four years, something like that. Maybe more yeah. five years. I um I found myself looking around for, especially with writing memoir, like where are the support groups for people doing this? Like, I know. <laughs> I need to wait, wait. I wasn't realizing. Yeah. How, well, yeah, I joined a writing topics. group called Shut Up and Write. Uh, it was just a, a writing group here in Austin that was on that website called meetup.com. And the, the group is called Shut Up and Write. And all the group was is we would meet at a coffee shop. We would talk and chat and chit chat and whatever for 15 minutes. And then we would all shut up and write for 45 minutes. And then we would leave. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> it was something that about so that communal energy, that group consciousness of focus was was really helpful. Yeah, I found an online... Um, some online groups. I don't know if you've heard of the Amherst writing project, but it's a very mm -hmm. beautiful process of that, that every group follows. And yeah, I did that just to keep that mojo going, you know, just to keep the flow rolling, even if I wasn't writing on that content, to, just to keep um, the magic of writing alive, you know, because yeah. I, I can be a real all or nothing person when I have an assignment of sorts, you know, back to that procrastination or, you know, perfectionism, <laughs> I don't know, you know, all mingled together there, but to have um, a space that was just, uh, yeah, let's just remember writing's really fun, you know, it seemed yes. to be very important to keep yes. that flow going. So, um, well, cool. So I'm wondering now if, if, you know, as we're kind of winding down, if, if you can let us know what's on the horizon, tell me a little bit about your, where you're living, what it's like, and, um, you know, what your work is with the project now and what you're seeing in the future as much as you can share with us. Oh my goodness. Well, um, like I said, super grateful to be connected with you and get to know you and your family and see the light that you're sharing in the world. I kind of want to do a commercial for you and death dialogues right now, oh, because bless your heart. just like the authenticity that you put in the world is just, is really beautiful. And you're also like an amazing cheerleader. Like some of my lowest days, I get a message from Becky and it's just like puts that spark back into my day. So I just really want to thank you and emphasize that I can really feel the light that you're putting out into the world. Well, and you know, we're that's both what, kind of on this. I was just going to say yeah. that's, that's the fuel for the, for my project anyway, is just hearing lovely feedback like that. So thank you. Mm. Keep going, please. I need you. We need you. <laughs> and I think we're, we're all, we're, we're both kind of living this alternative life path now, you know, since I broke away from the blueprint of life that I thought I was going to follow for the rest of my life, I've kind of been marching to the beat of my own drummer and, 
Um, and I now, um, live on the property of a dear friend of mine who we became friends. We met on an airplane eight years ago and we crossed, have had parallel lives in a lot of ways and just became really good friends over those years. And I now live in an RV on, um, her property where she's got this amazing, um, wedding venue and meditation retreat. And it's where we get to stop mandatory stop to watch the sunset every evening. And it's, um, it's, it's good to just be able to not feel the pull to follow the blueprint of society anymore. And so when I started living in terms of life and death, when I started living for the joy of being alive, and when I started learning for art and for the work of God and the universe and all of that good stuff. It's suddenly just all those pulls to material wealth and, you know, material success and the desire to do what my parents want me to do has, has faded away. And it's not to say it's gone, but it certainly is, um, is not the priority that it used to be. And so, you know, some of the other projects that I'm working on, which is, I appreciate your kind words for my book. And, you know, when I wrote my book, I was really passionate about the idea of, I don't want to tell people how to live their best life. Like I'll give an outline of what I think living a good life is, but I don't want to tell people. I want people to really look inside their soul. I want them to really look at mortality in the face and learn from themselves what living their best life looks like. Um, and, and I still believe that passionately that it's, it's something that we all have to truly and honestly ask ourselves. Um, but in the past few years, I've done a ton of research on what makes people feel alive and what helps people look at the reality of death and how to live your most vibrant life. And so I have just released a workbook called the alive workbook, which is a companion to my book. So I'll be sending you a copy, Becky, but it goes along with the book. Um, um, and expands on it in tons of different ways. There's all kinds of new inspiration and challenges. And the goal is if you complete this workbook, which is 55 pages, it's all beautifully designed that you will be living your most vibrant life by the end. And so, um, and so that's one of the passion projects that I'm working on right now. And I'm super happy to share that with the world. Oh, that sounds so exciting. I can't wait to see it. Well, you'll, you'll be getting it in your inbox later today. (laughs) (laughs) Lovely. Thank you. I appreciate that. Oh, that's exciting. And are you, um, how did, did, did the pandemic affect any of your plans? Cause I know you were doing some workshops as well, weren't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I lead walking meditations in Austin. I'm one of the only walking meditation practitioners in um, in all of Austin, and one of very few in all of Texas, and even uh, across the nation. There's there's not so many of us, um, and so my walking meditations got put on hold. I also lead deathbed meditations. Um, I did some online. But, you know, really the pandemic was crazy because I had come up with this idea for the book. And then, you know, which day I launched it, Becky, was March 8th, 2020. (laughs) It was such a crazy time to launch a book. But, you know, what happened is, you know, now, you know, the book sales have been great, like beyond my wildest imagination and it's still selling and it's really beautiful. Um, But something happened January 1st of 2021. People have opened up to this message. Now that I think once we got out of the main woods of the pandemic, I think we've all had this shared 
experience of a near-death experience. We've all contemplated at some point throughout the past year, like I could die of COVID or, you yeah. know, I could die at any time. Our, our mortality has just become as a, as a whole more apparent to a lot of people. And so there's such a more positive response to my project um, in 2021. It's just, whereas I used to get 50-50, oh, that's so morbid. Oh, that's the most inspiring thing. Now it's like 80-20. People just get it now. They understand that looking at life and slowing down and embracing one's mortality can bring such openness and expansiveness to being alive. Well, that really makes me feel good that people are looking because um, even my husband, who's, who, you know, has worked with people throughout his life. He, he said, people are going to need these conversations. They're going to need and him not realizing the breadth of what's available out there online, you know, around death and dying and grief and, and everything. So I love that, that you're the, the data cruncher that you are and that you can actually tell me quantitatively that you're seeing that change because that tells me that, yeah, he's right. People are, are searching. Mm-hmm. People are, you know, you can't go through a pandemic and have the amount of people suffering that, that you've seen suffer or die or fear for your death. I mean, you know, so many people have just been bound um, by fear themselves. And um, you, you hope that some people will take the fork in the road of expansion instead of, um, you know, minimalizing and shrinking and trying to hide. You, you hope that people will choose um, walking into these difficult conversations and this idea that they might die, in fact, tomorrow, and look, try to reframe that in a way that um, can expand their living. I'm so happy to hear that. Yay. <laughs> Yay. Hey, a lot of people who are searching on Google for Will I Die Tomorrow, they come on my website, and they, it was the last thing that they expected to find was this like bright, shiny, positive look at mortality. So <laughs> I did not expect that when I started this project, but I look at my Google Analytics, and I have people who write in to me like multiple times a week who say, who say I was terrified of dying or I was Googling whether, what are the chances of me dying tomorrow? You know, people Google some dark things, right? That's where some of our deepest, darkest, darkest secrets go into our search bar. And a lot of people are Googling things related to the fear of death and they land on a website that says you might die tomorrow. So live today. And it, just totally flips what they were expecting to get on their head. And it gives them a lot of hope. And, and I think counterintuitively, that's what this project and that's what our work does is it gives people hope. And I just want to just say right then and there, and more power to you for staying with your title, because that shows you, um, people are looking <laughs> for those words, right? That is what's going to sell it, it, to the people that need that book. Yeah. Yes. And it's certainly eye-catching. If you're listening and you haven't been to my website or seen the title, the cover of my book, just Google it. It's big black letters on a white background with neon yellow. Like I am not shy about putting it out there (laughs) for sure. No, 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 it's beautiful. I love it. And you know, I love your, your visuals. And um, I've been in my van I throw, I'm afraid somebody's going to take my magnet. <laughs> so I don't put it up until I stop. Oh, I'll send you so. a stack of them, Becky. You can hand them out. <laughs> I need, I need, um, I will, I will put in a plug for bumper sticker. I ran out of, um, I think I only had one or two bumper stickers and they got used and now I don't have anything for Tawanda. Well, Hey, I know needs. where you live. They're coming to you. Yay. <laughs> Yay. 
Oh, so anything else that you want our, our listeners to hear about before we wrap? Well, I just want to share one final lesson that I've been reflecting a lot over the past year that was a pretty unexpected to me, which was I've had this nagging, this nagging, that's my Midwestern accent coming out, this nagging, yeah. <laughs> this nagging um, thought ever since I had the realization with You Might Die Tomorrow that was like, you know, enjoying your life is the most important thing. But I wrote it off for the first few years, like, oh, like I knew it and I knew that I wanted to enjoy my life. And I secretly kept that as a priority, but I didn't write about it and I didn't talk about it because I was like, that sounds so selfish. It sounds so trite, right? Like enjoying your life. Well, yeah, okay, great. That sounds that sounds nice, but in practice. But as I've gone through the years, as I've done more and more research on mortality, more and more research on joy, presence, and aliveness, you know, I used to say like, you know, if you look out at, um, if you look at our laptop, like, right, if you're, if you're driving a car right now listening to this or you're, or you're on a phone or a laptop, like, if you think about the magic of those machines, like, it's mind-blowing, right? And if you think about, like, the amazing kaleidoscope of wonder that we live in, like, trees are amazing, the sky, like, voices, our bodies, like, there's so much wonder around the world. And I used to think, like, oh, it's, it, it's not practical, practical to live in joy and wonder, childlike wonder every day day. But as I've gone through, you know, these lessons of what makes us happiest, it's two things. And it's number one, it is tripping out on the wonder of every tree you see. It is really just appreciating everything as if it might be gone tomorrow. And number two, one of the paths that I found to being the most happy and my best in life and living the most vibrantly is figuring out a way to let my unique essence of Kate, my personality, my soul expression, whatever you want to call it, shine as most Kate as I can. And the same goes for shining your soul, Becky, in the most Becky that you can. And that being our greatest path to our purpose in the world. And so if you want to do good in the world before you die, if you want to leave the world a better place, the greatest path to doing so is to shine your light and to be the fullest expression that you can be with bravery, with courage, with gratitude, and with joy. And so it is not ridiculous to trip out on the wonder of trees and being alive and the magic of your own soul. And that's the lesson that I leave with leave to you, Becky, and to everyone is to please shine your individual light as brightly as you can, and you will have made the world a better place. Oh, what a beautiful way to end this. I'm just, my heart was tingling. I could, I just tingled listening <laughs> to, yeah, to your tips. Thank you so much, Kate. Mm. You are unique. Your project is unique. And um, I hope that people continue to follow you and share your work with the other people that they feel could benefit from it. Because I think that's, that's just a huge part of this, right? Is we all know people in our lives at different times, what they're going through. Um, if, if there's suffering, if there's been deaths, you know, th th we search for words, we search for how we can help them or, and, you know, sometimes we're, we feel pretty helpless with that, but um, I'm here to raise a hand and say this work, is something that's a part, it is part of my practice now, right? So yeah. um, not only espousing your wonderful teachings, but just touching base with you and your connection, you know, a connection with you um, and your project is just a bit of, a, it lifts me. It lifts me so, so much. So thank you for the energy, <laughs> Kate, that you're sharing with the world. Uh -huh. And thanks for being here today. And 
Hey, I got a feeling we'll be touching base again. (laughs) I I can't let you get too far away from me. Yeah. You take good care. Okay. Thank you, Becky. We hope you've enjoyed your time with us today. We'd love for you to get further connected with our project. You can find the links in the podcast information. You can also find the Death Dialogues Project on Facebook, on Instagram, and at www.deathdialogues.net. Take good care and see you next time.